interviews, and entertainment about your public lands and waterways. My name is Mark Peddleton, and I'll be your host today. Today we hear from Elger Roy. She'll be telling us about massive and threatened mangrove forests bordering and shared by India and Bangladesh. Before that, a quick look at the week's environmental news. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration brings us this alarming news, which I will read directly from a NOAA report that was put out this week. March and year to date were second warmest on record for the world. Hot on the heels of the second warmest winter in the 138-year record, March continued the global warm trend that could last well into this year, especially with increasing chances for the arrival of El Nino by late summer or fall. The March 2017 average global temperature was 1.89 degrees Fahrenheit, above the 20th century average of 54.9 degrees. According to the analysis by scientists from NOAA's National Centers for Environmental Information, this was the second highest for March in the 1880 through 2017 record, behind last year by 0.32 degrees. This also marks the first time the monthly temperature departure from average surpassed 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit in the absence of an El Nino effect in the tropical Pacific Ocean. The year-to-date average temperature was 1.75 degrees Fahrenheit above the 20th century average of 54.1 degrees. This was the second-highest first quarter of the year on record, behind 2016 by 0.32 degrees Fahrenheit. Now we'll turn to our interview with El Jaroy. Today's guest is El Jaroy, a filmmaker and graduate student in communication studies at the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Elja, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Today we'll be talking about the Sunderbonds. Am I pronouncing that correctly or not? Yes. Uh, we call it Schunderbonds. Schunderbonds. So really, yes. I'm not going <laughs> to... Schunderbonds. Okay, yep. good. Thank you. Uh, the Schunderbonds, an archipelago in the world's largest mangrove in a region jointly administered by India and Bangladesh. Can you tell the listeners what a mangrove forest is and why Schunderbonds is so special and important? Thank you, Mark, for the opportunity. So I'll start by saying what a mangrove forest is. So basically, mangroves are salt-tolerant, tolerant small or medium-sized trees that can survive in harsh coastal regions. And they are also called halophytes. And they can withstand low and high tides. And they have a very complex salt filtration system and complex root systems, which are created in order to cope with salt uh, salt water immersions and wave actions and they are adaptive and they have been adapted uh, adapted in a way that they can survive in a very low oxygen condition which is very common in swamps and coastal regions and there are few fun facts about mangroves that's like um, uh, their roots actually grow against the gravity and they breathe in the air so that they can get enough oxygen, which is not possible in swamps. And uh, there are seeds that start germinating while they are still attached to the parent tree. And after achieving a certain length, uh, the plants actually get detached from the tree and then uh, they are planted directly into the soil and they, then they start growing. So these are the kind of forests uh, I was talking about in terms of mangrove. And now if I come to Shundorbon, 
Shundarban, uh, actually the name Shundarban comes from two different words. First is Shundar and the second is Bon. So, Shundar is basically a kind of a tree, okay, that is called Shundari tree which is abandoned in that area and the scientific name of Shundari tree is, um, just a second, yes, the scientific name of Shundari tree is uh, Heritaria forms and Bon actually means forest oh. in Bengali. So, that is why Shundarban is named Shundarban. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you. And as far as it being one of the largest mangroves, um, I certainly know, for example, I'm familiar with mangroves in Mexico and El Salvador, and the loss of them has been devastating as far as coastal erosion, habitat, all kinds of things. So I can just imagine what a very, you know, extremely large mangrove uh, area like that is important, not just regionally, but possibly even globally. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the sort of threats to it and what's, what sort of ecological services, to use those terms, um, that area does? Yeah, uh, definitely. So Shundarban is built in the delta of Bay of Bengal and from the super confluence of Ganges, Padma, Brahmaputra, all these rivers and this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site since 1997 and um, so there are pretty, the flora and fauna of this area is definitely critical to the existence of human beings and for them as well and what is the most important part of it is there are different islands and there are islands which are dense forests and there are islands where humans live as well. So from the India and Bangladesh, both parts of Shundarban, there are like 12 million people living in that area. So exactly, so that makes it even more difficult to manage in terms of forest management. And apart from that, basically Shundarban is the area that works like a shield from the Bay of Bengal and the Bay of Bengal actually gives birth to a lot of cyclones. So Shundarban works as a shield, it is like Bay of Bengal or north of, or north of Bay of Bengal, it is like Shundarbans and at north of Shundarbans it is like densely populated cities such as Kolkata which is in India and Dhaka in Bangladesh. So these are the cities which are in I mean which are very much in the threat zone of those cyclones but the forests are actually taking care of these uh, cyclones. So now with climate change and global warming what is happening is sea level is rising as we all know. So a lot of those islands along with the forests are vanishing rapidly which pose a threat to the human beings and at the same time um, there are more endangered species and the Shundarban is a habitat of a lot of critically endangered animals at the same time and Shundarban was actually famous for uh, being the house of uh, Royal Bengal Tigers. So possibly one of the last surviving places of Royal Bengal Tigers is Shundarban. Currently there are like 400 uh, Royal Bengal Tigers in that area. So uh, since the islands are vanishing, the tigers have fewer places to live in and now their natural habitats are being disturbed because of rapid industrial encroachments which I'll, we can, I can talk about later on. So it's human encroachment at the same time climate change, rising sea level so the uh, habitats of tigers are disturbed and they are now encroaching towards the islands in which humans live. So there were few distinct islands for humans and animals but right now that, are, that is disturbed again. So there are fewer tigers, they are more endangered and at the same time they are attacking humans. Sure. 
Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And that's fascinating. I'm sure for listeners here in the U.S., the idea of, of having tigers in, in an environment is, is, is really an exotic one, much like I remember some folks from the U.K. coming over and, and seeing a sign about grizzlies in Yellowstone and thinking, you know, it was a pinch-me moment for them because they were not used to that charismatic megafauna. And speaking of which, it seems like the charismatic megafauna is often the focus, like with climate change and polar bears, that has both sort of good sides and bad sides, but it's part of how people advocate for the protection. They almost become symbolic for protection of an area. What are some of the things that people are doing to try to uh, protect Schundervans, um, and uh, how effective are they at this point? Um, there are actually a lot of people trying to protect Schundervan, and there are actually pros and cons of that as well. Say, for example, there are environmentalists, scientists, environmental journalists, uh, civil society groups, policymakers from both the countries who are working to save that region. Uh, but then again, uh, every organization has its different agenda. For example, WWF India, I mean World Wildlife Fund. So they are working intensely in that area, but then again, they are working for um, the tigers. And there are NGOs working for the humans. There are journalists trying to capture everything. And the most difficult part is it's kind of distributed in India and Bangladesh. And India is a huge country. So for India, the significance of Shundarbon is way less than the significance of Shundarbon for Bangladesh. So it becomes a policy, a policy issue at times because for Bangladesh it's really critical for their survival, for their entire country. But then again for India it's a very little part of a very little state. So there becomes a difference in interest and at the same time um, for international um, organizations such as WHO or such as um, WWF, they have more access in India. I'm not really sure how that works in Bangladesh, but then again, uh, the reports I was looking for and the report I have read are mostly from the Indian part of Shundarban, whereas 60% of Shundarban is actually in Bangladesh. So there becomes, um, there is actually a lack of information and information flow communication, communication gap between both the countries and policy gaps in both the countries. And at the same time, recently, which is pertinent, and I think I should talk about that, is uh, there has been a coal-burning power plant which has been approved by Bangladesh government. That's called Rampal Power Plant Project. And there is another power plant which is proposed uh, that's called Orion Power Plants. And these are in the edges of Shundarbon. There has been numerous protests against it, but then again, Bangladesh government slam those by saying that Bangladesh desperately needs power, which is true, definitely they do need power. But then again, uh, the government is claiming that the uh, plants are way far from Shundarbans, which is actually not. <laughs> yes, so it's critical, it's problematic. There are people who are working and I personally was a part of a project called Implementation and Rapporteur Services Towards Organization Multi-Stakeholder consultation under SWI, S-A-W-I, that is South Asia Water Initiative. So there are possibilities, but then again, there are talks and internet transboundary discussions which take a lot of time, but then again, 
the area, the people, the animals, they may not have that much of time because we all know that climate is changing rapidly. Yeah. So that is where it is at yeah. this point. Well, that, that is fascinating, the transnational aspect and also the aspect of dealing with so many different interests and, and discourses and the, the difference between um, those that are mainly focusing on non-humans and those are looking at environmental justice issues. Just a, a fascinating sort of subject. I'm sure we could probably go on a lot about it because I, I have too many questions for you. But because of that, I think I'll cut it off here. But um, looking across at the different things that people are trying to do, what would you say is one of the lessons as far as an organization or an initiative that you've seen that has some sort of promise to maybe um, protect the Shundabans for the people and for the animals living there? I think... Uh the most promising area right now that people are more conscious. Somehow these NGOs, <clears throat> uh, the newspaper coverages, people are more conscious and aware of the situation which was and uh, in terms of climate change conversation, Shundarban is critical and if I'm not wrong, the advocates who are working for Shundarban, they have, um, they have had a panel in Paris uh, in Paris about Shundarban because Shundarban is not a distinct island or distinct landmass or a distinct country mm -hmm. per se. So that's why it does not get that much of a, that that much of attention from international media uh, such as maybe Solomon Islands or Marshall Islands or Kiribati gets. So, the, so there are initiatives and there are international recognitions since uh, World Bank is involved, since WWF is involved. So now we have more discussions, have more reports, so there is a silver lining. Yeah, and a little bit more consciousness of it. That's fascinating. Thank you so much, Elder Roy, for joining us. Thank you. Hard to believe that this is already the 15th week of the Public Lands podcast. We'll be taking a break before possibly starting up again this summer, or if not sooner, next January. The goal is to eventually podcast on location from public lands around the United States, North America, possibly even further afield. Stay tuned to see where it goes from here. I want to thank all the guests who have appeared in the past 15 weeks, including my colleagues and students at the University of Minnesota. So until the next podcast, enjoy, share, and take care of a park, lake, or river near you. This land is your land.